continue our sermon series in the book of Ephesians. If you remember well, we have been going through the book of Ephesians and we stopped in verse 16 of chapter number 4. My prayer and my desire is that we continue from verse 17 this morning. I'd like to invite you to stand on your feet as we read together from God's word this morning. The Apostle Paul writes to the believers in Ephesus, reminds them of their new identity. And he writes and he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and we are taught in him. As the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun to go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt, corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving 
one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. You may have your seats. Let us pray. Our glorious eternal God and King, we do bow before your throne of grace. We thank you for your word. Indeed, it is living, it is active, it is sharper than a, a double-edged sword. Your word is able to discern the intents of the thoughts of our hearts. Everything before your word is bare. There is nothing that is hidden from its effect. Yet we do realize our minds are carnal, your word is spiritual. And we do admit our carnal minds cannot understand spiritual things, for they are spiritually discerned. This is why, not as a ritual, neither as a tradition, we are asking that your Holy Spirit will be with us this morning. We have not gathered here to seek only for information. We desire to see transformation in our lives. We desire not just to be mere hearers of your word. Our desire is to be doers of it. So we ask of you that you would enlighten our eyes, remove the veils from our faces. There may be some here seated this morning who profess to know you, yet they do deny you in their actions. They too, we do ask that you will, in your mercy, cause your Holy Spirit to reveal the glories of Christ and the futilities of everything we chase after in this life. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, I do ask as well that you grant me clarity of speech and simplicity that we may understand the gospel truths that Christ will be exalted, that he may increase as we decrease this morning. It is in his glorious name we are asking this, and for the good of his bride, the church, we pray all this, and may God's people say amen. Ephesians chapter number 4 from verse 17, our focus this morning will be verses 17 to 24, a new identity, or should I say the change of identity. The Apostle Paul, let's recap, has been showing us as to what God has done for us in Christ Jesus Chapters 1 to chapter number 3. As he finishes in chapter 3, coming to chapter number 4, you will remember very well that in verses number 1 of chapter 4, the apostle begins by telling us that we must walk in a manner worthy of the calling. There is an assumption that there has been a change in their identity. What the apostle has in mind, as it would, he looks at us and considers us maybe as one would be considered who is a wife. Because that is a picture that we have in chapter number five of this same book. The church, 
is a bride of Christ. And you know very well that if any woman is married to a man, there is a way in which that she then adopts as it would. She changes her maiden name. The identity changes. If you are Mrs. Smith, and you are married to Mr. Jacobs, you will then be called whatever name you are, and your name thenceforth becomes Mrs. Jacobs, isn't it? Or consider the analogy that the Apostle Paul uses regarding the issue of adoption. As one who has been adopted, no matter where they are coming from, as they come into this family that is adopting them, the judge declares that they are as born to the one who has adopted them. There's a change in identity. Or if we may use the analogy of a slave, one who has been purchased or bought, ransomed from a slave market, he is ransomed, he becomes an all, a possession of the one who has ransomed them. So here is what is happening in our Christian walk. There has been this change in your in my life. And this is what the apostle is bringing to us. Let's go to the second slide. This change, we can call this the change of identity, has taken place because there is a triune God who has worked out a salvation within us. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they together sat down in the courts of heaven and they made this plan possible. The Father predestined you. That's what the Apostle Paul is telling us in chapter number 1. Such that even though you were born a sinner, in sin, as you walked this life, God, in his providence, gave us the law, the prophets, to guide us, to lead us. And one day you heard the preaching of the word, and the cross was made bare before your sight. And the Son of God, Jesus Christ, executed that plan. The Holy Spirit applied that plan. Therefore, if you would ask me as to where we are, we have been justified. In other words, we've been declared righteous by God. We've been adopted by God, but yet we are not yet to be glorified. We have not been glorified yet. There is glorification awaiting us. And there is this process now in between there we call sanctification. And that's what God is doing. But whilst we are in that stage of sanctification, we ought to fight against sin. You see, there is a destination which God has prepared. There is a goal that awaits each one of us. 
Yes, God has predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Yes, we are his workmanship prepared in Christ Jesus for every good work. So there is an identity change that has been worked out by the Godhead. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all involved. You are not your own, you belong to the Godhead. Let me use that language. And as the Apostle Paul writes in chapter number four, now this I say and I testify to you in the Lord. Do you see verse number 17? Let's, let's look at that verse together. He says, I testify this to you in the Lord. The apostle assumes and the apostle puts that he has in view that deliverance has happened and it's the complete deliverance. It's God who has worked out a work of redemption. And Paul is saying, now I testify to you. I affirm. It shows that the apostle is not giving, he is not just giving some helpful hints that you may want to try if you feel like it. He is giving the Lord's commandment for how people must live. He is saying in the Lord, that term in the Lord denotes that Paul is saying this together with the Lord. It points to Paul's source of authority, one, but also it points to Paul's union with Christ. Such that, if you'd ask me, in the Lord denotes the sphere in which Paul is making this testimony. It is also pointing us to the union which exists between the believer and the Lord. Remember chapter number one? The preposition phrase, in the Lord, comes again and again. So what the apostle is saying, it points us back to the present position of the believer, their union that they now share with Christ. So Paul is painting this graphic portrait of how believers should live. Now that you are a new man, Here is then how Paul appeals. He is first showing, painting this graphic picture. First and foremost, he urges these believers to say that this deliverance has done two things. Number one, this deliverance brings new life. Verse number 17 to 21. Number two, this deliverance brings new looks. Let's start with the first one. This complete deliverance which God has worked in us brings new life. Read that verse 17 with me so that we can see it together. He says that I desire that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do. So he first points us to a sinner's condition. 
or should I say, he first points us to this new deliverance or this new life is a life that has come upon to a people that were once in a sinful condition. In that sinful condition, look at what the apostle says. In that sinful condition, that sinful condition was marked or was marred by this manner of life. It was a life marred with, verse 17, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. The question is, how do the Gentiles walk? Verse number 17 tells us, they walk in the futility of their minds. In Ephesians chapter number 4, from verse 1 to 16, what I want you to see and observe is this. Paul is calling us from verse number 1. Look at verse number 1. He says, I am asking and urging you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. But there is a dramatic change here. In verses number 17, Paul calls us to walk in a way that differs dramatically from that of the Gentiles. How are the Gentiles walking? They are walking in the futility of their minds. He employs that word, they are walking in the futility of their minds. If you go to chapter number 5, the apostle says in verse 1 to 6, he urges us to walk in love, while in chapter number 5, verse 7 to 14, we are instructed to walk as children of light. So this issue of walking is upon the heart of this man, Paul, that he desires us to walk in a certain way, not as the non-believers. As he puts it, why is this an issue? Look at verse number, chapter number 2 with me, and you see verse number 1, 2, 3. Chapter number 2 of Ephesians. Apostle has already reminded us. He said, you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. In which, mark the word, you once walked. How then did you walk? Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That is how we once walked. So while the apostle now continues the same theme of walking, he is telling us that we must not walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds. The word futility that the apostle uses there, it denotes that the Gentiles actually they are running after things that are empty. The Gentiles are running after things that are meaningless. And there is one characteristic why these Gentiles are walking the way that they are walking. 
He first appeals to this particular fact that the Gentiles are walking the way that they are walking because this futility is in their minds. I want you to see the emphasis that the apostle uses there. And the emphasis the apostle employs regarding the use of the mind as to what they know or what they choose to ignore. In the futility of their minds, Gentiles are chasing after that which is not eternal. Beloved, here is then my appeal. And this is what we will then also consider. As you understand what the apostle is appealing with regards to the new nature that these believers ought to possess, the apostle has in view that the Gentiles whose minds are running after feudal things are void of eternal life. Now, in essence, what the apostle then brings, everything that you are going to see, if we are to put it in this particular sense, what are the two marks of this sinful condition? What the apostle is saying, that these Gentiles, they are darkened in their intelligence. In their intellect, they are darkened. In their inclination, their inclinations are depraved. Such that, in this sense of ignorance in this sense of an intellect that is darkened these gentiles in this state of not knowing let's go to that same chapter 4 and i want us to take these verses and apply them in this way one who is ignorant one who has a darkened mind Let's apply verses number from verse number 14 of chapter number 4. One who is darkened in their understanding, we may also put to say they are immature. They don't know. They are tossed to two and four and forth by every wave of doctrine, as you see in verse number 15, because they do not know. They are ignorant. They do not work properly in the body of Christ, because they do not know. Verse number 16. 17 then points to the fact that those who are in the futility of their minds, their intellect darkened, their inclination depraved, such men and women are alienated from the life of God. Verse number 18. They are stubborn and apathetic. They are antagonistic and they are rebellious. They commit cosmic treason against the king of the universe because of the hardness of their hearts in verse number 18. If we look at verse number 19, these men who are ignorant, who are, whose intellect is darkened, they voluntarily and actually perpetually devote their lives to sensuality, to greedy, to practice every kind of impurity as you see in verse number 19. Such a mind that is depraved such an inclination that is depraved is corrupt then verse number 22 through deceitful desires 
Now, as you come to verse 25, such men who have this ignorance then, they devote themselves to falsehood. They have this demonic anger depicted in verse 26 and 27. They give the devil the opportunity and they commune with the devil as you see in verse number 27. They steal as you see in verse number 28. They are corrupt and they have corrupt talk from their mouth because they do not know Christ. They grieve the Holy Spirit. They are full of clamor, slander, and all malice and all kinds of evil. As you come to verse 32, which is the last verse in this case, these men and women, they are hard-hearted. They are unforgiving and they do not know Christ. In essence, then what the apostle is saying, futility here must not be mistaken with stupidity. A futile life, beloved, is a life whose efforts do not materialize into something worthwhile. Paul is speaking to a people who know about Plato. Paul is speaking to, to a people here who were so great in philosophy, like Socrates. These were men in the worldly standard. You cannot call those men stupid. But these Gentiles of great standing and of great brilliance and intellect, their belief and their philosophies, according to the estimation that Paul has in view, all they trusted in, all they ran for, in light of eternity, they were futile because they failed to produce anything of lasting or of eternal essence or value. So what the apostle is doing is this. He is coming to these believers and he's telling them, this is not who you are. Your identity has changed. You used to be that odd man who used to do all those nasty things. But for now, the apostle is saying, that is not who you are. Amen? So the new identity that the Lord has worked in us, this new identity brings new life. It brings new life to us who were once in a sinful condition. Yes, our minds were darkened. Our inclination was depraved. But now we are converted saints, and this is the work of God. Look at verse number 20. He says to these brothers and sisters, and the apostle says to us, but this is not the way you learned Christ. Now, I want you to pause and see with me that the apostle here is not saying this is the way you received Christ. Do you see that the apostle here, his focus is on the mind 
Have you picked that already? He is focusing on their thinking. He is focusing on their thinking that they need now to look at themselves in different light. They must consider the realities of the gospel in light of eternity and those realities of the gospel must affect their lives. Why? Because the apostle knows that we can be Christians in theory, but in practice we can be atheists. The apostle knows that we may profess to be Christians on a Sunday, but we live in a habitual sinful lifestyle, proving to be children of the devil as we see John, even admonishing us in 1 John chapter 3 from verse 1 to 10. Having taught about the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God has given to the church, one would expect that there would be a longing and a desire to be maybe involved in the church, a quest to understand what in the local church things are happening. But yet the apostle looks at these men and women, although they have received the mature teachings. Although they have received sound doctrine, the apostle is very much aware that upon receiving such message, some may be indifferent or some may even ignore what they are taught. So he appeals to their mind. Know who you are. That's what the apostle is saying. This is not how you learned Christ. He speaks to the faculties of their being, the, the cardinal seat of their being, that now their minds ought to be transformed, their lives ought to be changed. Because the reality and the essence, according to John Stott, he says, no man or woman is truly converted who is not intellectually converted. And nobody can claim to be intellectually converted who has not brought his or her mind into submission to the authority of Jesus Christ. So then there has to be this conversion. There has to be this change. Look at verse number 21. You were taught... In him, as the truth is in Christ. Look at verse number 24. What does the apostle Paul writes and he says, Put on then the new self created after the likeness of God into righteousness and holiness. Unlike these ones who are walking in the futility of their minds, unlike these ones who are ignorant as to what their identity is, the apostle is saying that is not the way you learned Christ. Do you see that the apostle here, Christ is the subject to the apostle. For every Christian, Christ then becomes the chief subject we learn. Christ then becomes not only the subject, but the object of our affection. You have not learned him that way, the apostle is saying. He is the object of our affection. That is not the way that you have learnt him, that you must run after the things of the world. A new life therefore necessitates that we walk in tune 
to the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. The objective why God has given and has grafted the church to where she is, he has placed the church where she is, not that the church would accumulate glory for herself, or that the church would point each other to each other. Why? You and I were saved, Christian. We were saved so that we may conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Look at chapter number 4, verse 15 for me. Let's look at the Bible. The apostle writes and he says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. How do we grow up? Into him who is the head into Christ. So if you have learned about him, if you have heard of him, there is every reason then that you consume your time and occupy yourself with this one subject of our Christian faith. Jesus Christ then is the overall ruler and subject that we must occupy ourselves. And that's why the apostle has in view. He is the teacher and he is the truth we desperately need, even though once we were bound in sin. Our identity has been changed by this all-satisfying Christ, all-surpassing Christ, this all-saving Christ, this sin-bearing Christ, this satisfier of God's wrath, Christ. You have learned about him who is the light of the world. You have heard of him who is the bread of life. He is the one who is the living waters. He quenches the longings of men and women who run after sexual immorality. If you have learned about Christ, verse 20 says to us, this is not the way you learned about Christ or you've heard about him. Oh, sovereign Christ, have you heard about him? He is the principle we learn. It is him, the apostles say, we preach Christ and him crucified. Paul, the apostle, would tell us of the finished works of Christ. The narrow way through which we walk. He is the bread of life. He is the good shepherd through which we now are actually under his leadership. He is the abundant life giver, this Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life, John chapter number 11. John 14, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who is the word that became flesh dwelt among us and we have seen him glory as the only one begotten of, of the father full of grace and truth verse 20 beloved is key 
nor Jesus Christ in all his excellences, nor Jesus Christ in all his beauties. As you get to know him, your life is changed. Others may be chasing the candy frost of this world. What the apostle is appealing is treasure Christ above the world. If you have come to know him then, if this is how you have known him, then there has to be a change in the way that you are going to live your life. You may profess him, but your life must demonstrate that you do know him. God has given us the revelation of his son in order that we may have our minds changed so that we begin to think like his son, walk like his son. Believer, know this then, sanctification and spiritual growth are about this. If you just have it in your mind and you don't have it in your heart, you don't have it. You may profess it with your mouth, but you don't possess it in your life. You may have come in front when the pastor was preaching and you prayed after the pastor. But you went on from that service, lived as though you were a child of hell. It may be that you are not saved. So your knowledge of Christ is of essence. You can't have it in your heart without first having it in your heart. So what the apostle is asking and urging these believers, he wants them to be transformed. He wants their minds to be transformed by the word of God. And this requires a devotion to the life of a believer, to the one who has, there's an assumption here that they have learned about him. They have devoted themselves to the teaching of the word. Can you see that? And let me ask you then, are you desiring to know this Christ? Or is that profession you made that day enough for you? The heart of a man is deceitful and desperately wicked and beyond cure, the Bible tells us. And no man can understand his heart. Upon conversion, listen, Christian, on that day when you were saved, God gave you a new nature. But there's a process that needs now to take place. We call it sanctification. That this now new life needs to result in new looks. Like that tiny butterfly, there is transformation to take place. Some of us, we're still on one stage. We're not moving on the other. But our knowledge of Christ is of essence. If we are to mature and if we are to grow in our walk with Christ, beloved, we cannot come to a place where we think we have arrived. It is vital to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Romans chapter number 
12, verse number 2. That's why the apostle also urges the believers in Rome. Arasi Sproul would say this, the key method the apostle Paul underscores in Romans chapter 12 as the means to the transformed life is by the renewal of the mind. This means, mark these words, nothing more and nothing less than education. Serious education, in-depth education, disciplined education in the things of God. It calls for a mastery of the word of God. We need to be people whose lives have changed because our minds have changed and they have been changed by the word of God. So then, having then minds transformed this new look is only as a result of the changed mind so that we will not have our consciences seared but we will come to a place where we submit ourselves to God's word now this is why I want to use this as an application in this church we do appeal to you to join a Bible study. Because none of us is an alumni in the grace of God. There's no grace graduates. Amen? We all wrestle with sin. We all wrestle with the trials and the afflictions of this life. And it is only the word of God that puts all things into proper perspective. You see, this is why Paul the apostle is telling these believers as well to be involved in each other's lives. And church, may I exhort us that we do that. May I exhort us that we devote ourselves to the teaching of God's word. Not that we conform to our own image, but we conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Because as you attend that Bible study, may I encourage you, we are not just merely imparting information to the human mind. That is not sufficient. As we interact in God's word, God's word tells us that God uses the Holy, he uses his word through the working of the Holy Spirit and he makes this effectual work within us that we are transformed from one degree of glory to the other as we spend time in his word. So then, how does that new life look like? It's as the Apostle Paul writes to us in this chapter. As a result of a transformed mind, as a result of this renewed mind, then these are inevitable fruits that we will see. You will then put off your old self, which brings your former man of life that is corrupt through deceitful desires, there is this practice then that a Christian is involved in. And we are going to spend more time on this next week. There is the putting off and there is the putting on. This is a present, active, continuous tense. We are doing this on a daily basis. 
It's not a once-off thing. We are daily fighting against sin. We are daily, as the sense of odd would say, we are mortifying sin. We are putting to death the deeds of the body. We are fleeing from immorality. And it is a daily action. That is what the Lord expects from us. But has been made effective because God has worked in us a redemption. So even as we approach his table and as we stand and we sit here together, I want to pose these questions to you. Are you spending time in the word of God? Two, are you continuing to marvel at the work of God's grace upon your life? Do you remember who you are? Are you the true sheep of Jesus Christ that hears his voice run from the wolves? Or as a sheep, are you living amongst the pigs and you have forgotten your identity? Have you given of yourself fully unto this Lord? Are you living in reliance of God and his word, knowing that his word is infallible, rule for faith and for practice, knowing that his word is sufficient enough, that through the light of scripture we begin to understand God's holy character. Through his word we begin to realize our sinfulness. And that through his word we also learn what he has given us as a provision and a remedy for our sins. Even Christ and even as he allows us to walk in the new life through the Holy Spirit. Or are you walking a life that is dependent on yourself? If you are here and you are not saved, this new identity is possible. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All the orders passed away. Look, the new has come. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and we pray. Our glorious, eternal God and King, we do bow before your throne of grace this morning. Lord, we do thank you that you have worked in us this new life. You have given us, O oh God, not only a new life, but you expect from us new looks. Looks not on the basis of what the world describes as what is good, but empowered by your Holy Spirit. So we desire now that you would work in us that peaceable fruit of righteousness. For the glory and honor of your name, Lord, we also pray for those who do not know you in this place, asking that you would help them. For those, O oh God, who have grown weary in doing good, 
We pray that you would empower them by your spirit. Those who are fighting against sin, empower them by your spirit to fight such. It is in the glorious name of Jesus Christ we do ask and we do pray. May God's people say amen.